to the first episode of uh, Movie Voyager. Uh, this is John Owens from Frame Voyager. Most most people know me as Frame Voyager, though. Uh, but we're <laughs> changing up our podcasting a little bit, wanting to do more podcasts, getting in and talking with you guys in just a different way for the community to kind of like hear about me from an unscripted video and kind of hear some of my thoughts on movies and the production behind them in a more in-depth way and things that I think you should or would suggest maybe like, oh, go see this one in theaters. Here with me is my guest. Well, I mean, we've been on other podcasts and done tons of stuff together. Tim LaPointe, welcome to the Movie Voyager. Happy to be here. Always happy to talk movies. Always. Yes, we both love the... I think the thing with Tim and I that makes us a great pairing for doing podcasts about movies is he and I have completely different, completely different um, opinions on movies and preferences. That's true. So there's, there's evidence of this. And we usually like disagree a lot of the time on movies, which is great because I, I think it, it's a good, it's a good perspective. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but essentially what we're going to be doing or, you know, Tim, go ahead and introduce yourself and what you do. So people know why to yeah, listen to you. So I'm a filmmaker in Tampa Bay and, uh, work on a lot of doc style stuff, but, uh, love narrative movies. Um, I'm also a proud AMC, a list, uh, member. Uh, so movies are my thing. See love movies. And, uh, thanks to Peter Jackson, by the way. <laughs> Peter Jackson got me big into movies. So. <laughs> See, and that's where we already differ. You got your AMC membership. I've got my Regal Crown Club card. Um, so, well, and I say I would probably have gone Regal if Regal existed down here, but they don't. Yeah. So, and AMC is kind of the crappy theater where I live. But, anyways, yeah. so we're trying to going through basically for this episode. We're gonna have one each month. Um, where we're going to look at it the uh, at the beginning of the month, seeing which movies are coming out and some of the interesting things about them, maybe ones that pique our interest and ones we're going to kind of break down for you at the end after we kind of go through each of them. What to see in theaters, what to see at home, what you should take a significant other to go see, and which movie you could die happy never seeing. So we're going to give a little Voyager recommendation there at the end, um, but then go through all the different movies uh, that... Uh, that so you kind of know what's coming up because sometimes like there's movies even coming up for me that I'm like oh I thought that was coming out at a different time or they're getting moved around especially now with all the strikes yeah for real but for today's episode we're for September right now um, and we're looking more nationwide we'll bring in some streamer movies if they're like not super obscure or some different ones um, but for releasing to theaters currently for September you have Equalizer 3 which is already out at the time of this podcast releasing None 2, September 8th, um, the week of September 8th, you have The Nun 2, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, and uh, Poor Things was going to be released September 8th. It's now been moved to December 8th, so put that on your calendars for then. September 15th, A Haunting in Venice. September 22nd, Expendables 4, Dumb Money. September 23rd, Paw Patrol. September 29th, The Creator, The Kill Room, and Saw X. So let's uh, let's dive into the first one, September 1st, hey, Equalizer well, and 3. Don't forget that... Um We'd probably be remiss if we didn't mention that Taylor Swift is coming out soon. Not September, but uh, October. Just in case all you Swifties don't forget. Yeah, I have so. to go to that now because my wife bought us tickets immediately. Oh, she's part of the problem now? Yeah, she is. So, so can I go on a little side note here? <laughs> go ahead. Okay. So, oh my gosh, you Swifties. I tried to open the AMC app the other day. There was a 12-minute wait to get into the app. I could not access the app. So if I, if I just by chance had a 10 a.m. showing that I wanted to go to, couldn't access my ticket because of the line to wait for Taylor Swift tickets. So unbelievable. Funny enough, you get off my lawn. Um, is it The Exorcist or The Exorcist? I'm trying to remember what it is. There's a there's a like a horror movie that's coming out, like part of a franchise. I should really remember this because I'm going to see it. But it was going to be released the same week, and they tried like they tried initially to uh, have like a little Twitter thing, like oh we're going to make this like the next Barbenheimer. And then um, later that everybody's moving later that day, they uh, they they tweeted out that they were pushing the the release back a yeah. week and saying literally like, well, Taylor Swift won. <laughs> yeah, for real. So, yeah, it's that's that's this is what happens when there's strikes and uh, the studios won't come together and uh, pay the creatives what they should get. But we still have some movies, thankfully, coming out for now. Hopefully, hopefully this continues. But the Equalizer three. I remember um, when this came out to, to kind of set this basically 
the Robert McCall for the third one. He's this guy that like, what is he again? Do you, do you know these movies? I actually haven't seen these yet. I'm a big <laughs> Denzel fan and somehow have not seen these yet. So they see, this has been part of my problem with 2023 is that there's a lot of movies that are coming out. Like for example, tonight I'm going to finally go see mission impossible, uh, which amazingly is still in theaters, but I'm having to catch up now because I, I, I've watched all six of the mission impossible movies this year to catch up and go see them. So I'm gonna have to do the same thing with equalizer. And that's the interesting thing about when you look at September, there's a lot of sequels coming out. Um, so on some of these, I'm gonna have to do some catch up before I go and see these. Yeah, but I think this is kind of like a guy who used to be a hitman or has a mysterious past as something. It's the third one. He's trying to settle down in a town. I think the big thing that set up the Equalizer, because I saw the first one, the big thing that everyone loved it um, was kind of his little watch deal. He would like sit there and tell everyone in in ten seconds. It it, it you know at two seconds I'm going to break your nose. At three seconds you're going to be dead in a pile of, you know in a pool of blood on the floor. And then literally he would like start his watch, and then each thing would happen. And that was like the oh. the bit for the movie. And you can see that in the trailer for this one. But I guess he's kind of after two movies and a little bit of running around with Russian mafia and everything. Finally finds a nice little town in Italy to settle down. And uh, really likes it there, really likes the people there until the local crime bosses, the Italian mafia um, and their little vineyards um, turn up and uh, try to get in his face and hurt people. So he he goes and uh, takes out some of the mafia, I guess. That's kind of the plot. And I guess there's some of There's someone who's like his his equal that he has to face that maybe he has a watch of his own. <laughs> oh. He goes, but that's I, I think this came out around the same time as like the. um Oh gosh, what was the uh, the movie with Qui Gon Jinn? Oh, you're not talking about Taken. Yeah. Oh, I'm pretty sure the first one of the like it, it, in that in that era. So the Equalizer came out in 2014. Okay, so maybe not. I don't remember when. Second one came out in 2018. But it, it kind of came around the same time. There were a lot of these kind of movies, and it's just like they all yeah. had their own little like bit to it. His was the watch, and it's like. Some of these are fun, but it's it's okay. I like I like Denzel, but I don't necessarily love him in the Equalizer. Well, John Wick came out in 2014. So Oh, that's yeah. what it was. Okay, yeah. John Wick. Yeah. And to me, John Wick is is much more superior to mm-hmm. this. Um, and I think you can tell that by the, the amount of money they made on that one. Um I didn't even realize they were still making equalizer movies. The Wi-Fi network. You might want to check the connection settings in the Google Home app. Thanks, Google. Um, but yeah, so Equalizer 3, it, it looks interesting. Uh, if you like action movies, if you like action movies, I think you could you could go and see this and have a good time in the theaters. But um, yeah. any other thoughts? You like Denzel Washington? You've got I Dakota do. Fanning in it. Yeah, I mean, Denzel, Denzel's for real. Um, like pretty much any movie that Denzel is in, I'll watch it. What's I'll your favorite? What's your, really matter what's your favorite Denzel Washington movie? Um, man, that's tough. I, I, my heart says, remember the Titans, if I'm honest, yeah. that's where I first fell in love with Denzel. So that's where I would lean. If I'm talking just from a heart perspective, um, beyond that, you're probably going to need to cut this. Cause I'm having to look on IMDb to remember what Denzel <laughs> movies I've seen. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, see, for me, I remember like the one that always comes to my head that I remember is like one of the first movies I went and saw growing up. Like I went by myself to go see it with a friend um, and paid for it when I think it was in high school or middle school or something. Um, It was like him in a train. He had to like stop a train. That was the whole movie. That wasn't deja vu, was it? I'm not sure if it was, but I, I kind of liked that one. But whenever I think of Denzel Washington, that is the first movie that I, I think of. Yeah, so I I'm a big fan of um, I'm a big fan of John Q, mm-hmm. and obviously he's phenomenal in Training Day too. It, it's funny when I think about the Denzel movies that I like, I actually think about a lot of his older stuff, um, even as far back as Philadelphia. I know everybody praises Tom Hanks for his performance in that, but it's also a really killer Denzel performance. Yeah, that one's not terrible. I yeah, it, Denzel's just an interesting kind of. I feel like he's kind of. Um, I don't feel like he's done too much lately though. No been in a lot of kind of like random ones but i mean yeah so equalizer three 
Interesting, but I, I I gotta say the next one September as we move on to the week of September sixth is really the one I'm like I have marked on my calendar for most of the year, which is the Nun Two, which is part of the Conjuring universe. Um, there's a bunch of them. D- Tim's already um, <laughs> not looking yeah. excited about this one. No. Okay, so to set this up. The Conjuring. The Conjuring um, universe or the Conjuring franchise that they've built is the is actually the highest grossing horror franchise ever. It has around two point one billion dollars it's earned over the course of its movies, and behind it, the second that many would consider a horror franchise is Alien, and it's still beating Alien by like five hundred million dollars in revenue. Wow! Which I, I think if you adjusted that for um, inflation, I mean Alien, I think would come up a little bit. But it, it's there's a reason why these have lasted so long, and they've been able to branch off into different ones and maintain some quality. There's downturns on the franchise and the whatever. None too, um, and and that would be the, the first none. It was okay. I think I got like a sixty percent rotten critic like critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. I would kind of give it around like that that kind of range. Like it was fun, loved it, but it wasn't like a, a conjuring kind of um, kind of feel, and. In horror, I, for horror franchises, The Conjuring to me is great because it it doesn't necessarily show too much. It really builds this tension in the movies. Um, like in the first movie, they had this this infamous clapping scene. Have you seen the clapping scene? No. Okay. So they set this up, you know, typical, typical horror movie. They move into this house. This family moves into this house. And there's all this furniture there or something already for some reason. Uh, but they're playing this game. It's like hide and seek where you like put on a blindfold and um, you have to like clap. You see your kids clap and you have to like try to find them when you, you know, it's almost like Marco Polo essentially. Boy. Um, yeah, I already don't like this. She walks into this bedroom and like who's calling for her kid, you know, trying to find the kids with this blindfold on and it's like asking, you know, like, oh, clap, whatever. The, in the closet doors, like slow, like this, like um, Mm-mm. like Narnia Mm-mm. chest nope. or Narnia like wardrobe kind of thing wardrobe. opens yep. up, nope. and then nope. you just see this pair of hands come out and go, <laughs> and then close, and then she like <sighs> then then she all, all of a sudden she realizes um later on that her kids weren't in the room, and then she opens the closet and looks into it, um and then there's nothing there, and so she's just kind of like okay that was weird. Turns down later that night, and she hears clapping again and like a children's voice a child's voice down through the thing and it goes through you this know how whole, many people are in the closet oh yeah so mm-hmm. goes through this whole thing like ends up in the basement of course um and th- there's all this random stuff that happens like you never see anything it's just like her running and doing all this stuff and all of a sudden the light goes out and she like gets locked up in the front of her like uh, landing from the basement so she's like up these stairs so she's like sitting there and she lights a match and then they just let it sit there forever and you just see her there and then that one goes out and she lights another match. No. And then a pair of hands come out from behind her and go and then the lights go out again and then she screams and she's able to get out. But that's that's why I really appreciate the Conjuring franchise is because it's at its best when you, you because you don't see anything half the time and they just they they set up things for so long. So you're tense for so long before they like they uh they like you get that like that real scared moment um which i think you know a lot of horror franchises they just go straight to the gore straight to the whatever and they're really good about setting up that tension um which i think is why again it's part of their their all that to say the nun 2 is looks like it's going to be another uptick movie the first one was okay this one's whatever um, it basically takes place again two, two, like four years after this incident, this girl who had just become a nun during the movie. Um, like, I, th- I think she, they like, uh, um, uh, went through whatever little ceremony or whatever to make her a nun at the end of the last one. So they could defeat the, the, um, the nun that's a demon. <laughs> wow. Um, and this nun connects back to the original, con- like the other Conjuring movies, because the the paranormal investigators essentially have a picture of this nun in their house um, that they keep in like a safe room with all the other stuff, like the Annabelle doll and all that. And so you see, you've seen this in other movies, so they're kind of giving a little bit of a backstory. Um, but yeah, four years later, so this girl who was a nun in the last one, it comes to like another 
um, castle, like Catholic kind of thing. And uh, it kind of uh, goes after them again. So they're pretty, pretty lax on what actually is going to happen, um, which is good. The trailers haven't showed much beyond their creative, I would say, uh, their typical creative scares and horror kind of things that they set up. That's why I love this franchise is because it really does do things very creatively from a cinematography standpoint. And they're always looking for fun ways to, you know, to do it beyond just the, the typical horror tropes and stuff. Yeah. No, I've just never, never understood people who like to be scared. Um, like I think y'all are crazy. (laughs) Anybody who likes horror films, I think you're out of your mind. Cause, uh, you know, I mean, like I'll, I'll tiptoe into thrillers. Okay. I'll tiptoe into thrillers. When it comes to horror, like, no. I no, see. I like, um, no, it's like, it's for me, it's the, ch- the children. If there's children involved that are, that's where I just like, oh, there's nothing, that's where you, there's nothing scarier than a child, like a small child yeah. in a dark hallway at night. And yeah. I feel like yeah. if I have kids at some point, I'm still going to be scared of them. <laughs> They're like, yeah. No. Yeah. No, yeah, but I I would say horror movies. Go see it with a friend that like uh, um, gets like really scared or whatever. I'll go with um, yeah. um, our friend uh, Adrian, who oh like, yeah, big emotions, sure. whatever. It's fun to go see it with that because you. It's one of those movies that people can laugh and like scream and stuff, and you just kind of have a good time because it's like scary. Uh, now, is there a Krampus two sequel? Like a Krampus a, sequel coming out? I wish I'm there for it. So that's that's like my my that's my horror. Right there. Krampus. Yeah, Krampus is yeah. so good. Well, so. We, I know Tim doesn't really like The Nun 2. I do. Really cool. Coming out September 8th. But we'll, another movie coming out September 8th that uh, he's more excited for than I am is uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yeah, My Big Number Fat three. Greek Wedding. Number three. Yeah. You know, so My Big Fat Greek Wedding is not a movie that I expected to like. It's one that when I, I got married, my wife insisted that I needed to watch this movie. And I thought, gosh, I just... You know, I'll watch more rom-coms and horror films, but I'm probably equally excited. I mean, granted, there's some classics. I will say there are some classics. But My Big Fat Greek Wedding uh, is charming, delightful, very quotable. I'm very appreciative of a quotable movie. Um, And, uh, yeah, I think it actually just... You know, sometimes you watch rom-coms and the story just isn't that great. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one just has a nice balance of it's lighthearted, it's funny, it's family. Um, and I just, I, I don't expect to watch my Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 and expect to see some cinematic masterpiece. Um, but I expect to go and have a good time. And I think this, uh, what excites me about movies and about movies that come out in theaters is that there's the full range of those things. There's, there's stuff. If you want to get scared, go see the nun too. If you want to watch something that's more masterful and technical, we're going to talk about some of those films coming up. Um, but if you want to go just have fun time, watch something delightful, something you can just watch, go home, have some popcorn while you're there. My big fat Greek wedding three. Yeah. So it seems just like a I didn't even, okay, to be honest, I kind of forgot there was even a My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2. I didn't mind the first Big Fat Greek Wedding. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, I was like, at first I leaned over and told my wife, I'm like, oh gosh, another remake. They're just coming back to like pull these old things out of the, you know, out of the dirt. And I was like, oh, I didn't. And then when they did like, oh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, I was like, oh, I didn't even know they made a second one. Um, I will say my parents have mentioned that they're excited about going to see this movie, yeah. which which feels which feels right because it is one of those like classic movies that um they showed me growing up. So yeah. it's like their kind of generations. I, well, and I the, guess. the cool thing, like from from a filmmaker's perspective about my big fat Greek wedding, is that um, the when she went to make it, nobody would pick it up, and she did it as a one woman show, and Tom Hanks actually saw it. And picked it up and was like, yeah, I'll produce it. Um, and so it's just things like, I just love those kind of films where you get to see somebody like that, like get a big break. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also love Tom Hanks. And the fact that Tom Hanks can appreciate my big fat Creek wedding uh, makes me feel like I should have some appreciation for it too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, from this one, it sounds like it's kind of like a passing the baton movie, I guess, for the kids that the, the original people had and yeah. they go back to Greece which I guess is kind of fun. So like you just have them all, what like it's usually taking place in the U S right. So they all right, immigrated yeah. over. So they're finally going back to Greece 
and it looks like a pretty like slapstick comedy, your typical kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Humor that you'll enjoy at, as like a millennial or a Gen Z, I, maybe Gen, maybe maybe more millennial, I would say. But definitely, if you bring your parents to go see it, it's it's the humor that they get. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if you've noticed this seeing movies with parents or like um, I showed it showed everything everywhere all at once to my parents. Um, oh, and they uh, they didn't get it. And I was like because I was telling them like, oh, this is going to win awards. This is going to win, you know, best picture and all that. And they would still reference it as if this isn't like whenever I suggest a movie to go see. This isn't like that. Uh, that weird movie you made us watch last year, is it? <laughs> So I, I think yeah. I think there's a lot of content nowadays that um, we're starting to have less and less content that I think we can go view with like like our parents in some ways mm-hmm. because of the like culture has changed so much in how we like understand things, especially cultural references and all that. Yeah. Like so much faster than previous generations, probably because of social media changes it about every two seconds. Um, that you don't see a lot of like the these kind of movies that you could go see as a full family. And everyone's going to have something they can laugh at and enjoy. Yeah, It's funny. I didn't expect Barbie to see that way. Um, but I've been talking with a lot of people kind of in that next generation beyond me. Because my wife and I, we felt like it was perfect for our generation. Mm-hmm. But that next generation was like, what? What is this all about? What are the politics of this? I don't understand it. Um, <laughs> Which is so funny. So my Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, I think, is just going to be. It's, it's one of those fun movies that is cross-generational. Yeah, it's going to um, be like a, a like a 65 70 percent score yeah like story maybe maybe not it could be lower but it's just like it's gonna be that nice middle ground where it's like it's an okay movie it, the first one was probably gonna be the best it ever was but mm-hmm. this will be a nice like little you know um thing for the older crowd to have a little bit of a like oh yeah i remember watching this when this first came out yeah. and introduce it to the new crowd and just be funny fun family friend thing all around so that's kind of yeah. how i see this um also, we mentioned before at the top of this podcast that on September 8th, Poor Things was supposed to come out, which is a movie with, uh, with Emma Stone. Yeah, with Mark Emma Stone. And um, um, Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. It, yeah, supposedly already having some um, awards chatter with it, especially with uh, um, Emma Stone, which, I mean, yeah. anything she's in, she usually gets that. So we'll skip on to that and we'll save that for December. Um, but so we move on to the week of September 15th. We have a haunting in Venice. Now, Tim and I were talking about this beforehand. I didn't realize that this has connections to other movies because I didn't really realize it, but basically just the synopsis of this is it's a, it's in post-World War II Venice. Um, you have this guy who's now retired, which I guess is from the other I don't know. Poirot. Yeah, he's living in exile and reluctantly attends a seance. Um, but then a guest gets murdered, and it's up to a former detective to once again uncover the killer. So this honestly just sounds like Glass Onion. Um, yeah. I mean, so I, admittedly, I haven't seen the first two movies. I've been wanting to. Um, because my dad is a big fan of the original show. So mm-hmm. these were Agatha Christie novels. And then there was a long running show for a while and they've done these movies now. Um, and I'm a big glass onion fan. You mentioned glass onion. I appreciate a good murder mystery and I feel like it's a genre in film that hasn't been getting a whole lot of attention. Um, and especially in that international realm, I just think there's something about having some, some European influence, um, mm-hmm. on those characters. Uh, Kenneth Branagh, I like his work too. Um, Michelle Yeoh. It's cool that he's been, yeah, Michelle Yeoh's in this one. Uh, but Kenneth has been directing and starring in these. So, um, interesting. Oh yeah. yeah I think director. it's just, in, it's an interesting follow up too for Michelle Yeoh, um, coming out of the Oscar and then coming into this. I just think that's going to be really intriguing to see here on this one. I agree. I agree. I, I do wonder for this though, what are the other movies that were before this? So murder on the Orient express and yep. then uh, death on the Nile. I've not seen death on the Nile. I was going to go see that in theaters. And then to be honest, I, I, this is probably sad. The thing that kept me away is what's her name? Um, the actress. Gal Gadot. Yeah. I just am not a big, like she's nice. Yeah. She's whatever. I just think she's a terrible actress. <laughs> like yeah. she's pretty, I mean, everything I've seen her in, it's like, gosh, like, how did you, how did you get lead role? 
those sort of things. Yeah. Um, but that is the fun thing about these movies is they've had quite an ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if there's like one or two people that you're not, yeah, so it's like last um, really on board with, yeah. Yeah. These you always bring. It almost reminds me like Ocean's Eleven or these heist movies, but in like a murder mystery sense. Like it's just bring whoever the famous people are in and just to make something similar. The thing yeah. with this, I looked at it, I was like, oh, this is cool. And but I, this to me seems like they're trying to pitch it in the marketing that I've seen as being something like super scary and like horror, or whatever. And I'm like, it. It, it it doesn't really look like it's going to be that like um, intense from that perspective, from like a horror perspective, like something like the nun would. And yeah. to me, it's something and I don't know if you're kind of like this, too, from a like a post-production standpoint, the color grading of it to me um, doesn't invoke like that kind of feeling like it's going to be mm-hmm. like a suspenseful horror movie or anything, anything like that. Cause it's very, it's really trying to be though. Well, you that's know, what think... they're trying to set it up as is it's like this, but it's like, to me, yeah. the warm tones like that almost, um, I'm trying to think of the color palette that it almost reminds me of. Or, I mean, I mean, I'm probably the other ones like death of the Nile and the different clips I've seen from that. It's yeah. got like a warm, like, uh, uh, like gosh, what would it be? Um, like that 20s style kind of feel mm-hmm. to it and to me it's just kind of a boring like setting color color setting for the for if you're trying to pitch it as a like a horror movie which it's kind of yeah, weird to me that they, they did are, it though like because when is i think that's the fun thing about movies so haunting in venice i'm just looking now it's a pg-13 rating mm-hmm. so i don't think they're really trying to go that horror out but it's almost like it's kind of like spicy food. You know, some people don't like spicy at all. Some people mm-hmm. like a little bit of spice. Some people like a lot of spice. And I think when you look at movies like uh, A Haunting in Venice versus The Nun 2, The Nun 2 is a very spicy movie when it comes to fear and True. horror. Um, I think A Haunting in Venice is just kind of leaning into a little bit of spice. You know, it's not... I I, I get what you're saying. Like they're kind of trying to market it as kind of scary in a way um but i think that's more so for the people who appreciate the murder mystery that say oh okay i'm not really big into horror but murder mystery oh wow this looks like there's a little bit of suspense and drama in it Mm -hmm. and you know so it's it's more i think it's kind of leaning away from that glass onion type that's kind of more comedic and trying to say this is the kind of murder mystery that we're trying to be but it but it's trying to be it's more like quirky in a sense it's got more of that kind of feel to it which which is fine. I don't mind it. Sometimes these these kind of movies remind me of heist movies a little bit, yeah. um, and it's kind of always like the thing for me with heist movies is it's kind of the same thing every time. It's like oh someone double crossed someone. Wow, or you know like oh we gotta we gotta get together we gotta get the team together, um, but. Yeah, I mean, it'll be a good movie. I think there's, like, I feel like this is probably a movie you'll enjoy a lot. Yeah. 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 For me, I look at it, and I'm kind of, um, I'm not, like, super interested, but I also, like, this also starts getting into, like, a genre that I I don't mind at times, but I'm not like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait for one to come out, you know? Well, and September is such an interesting month for movies, too, because you're coming just out of the summer blockbuster, Mm -hmm. but it's not quite into the award season push yet. Yeah. Um, And obviously in 2023 now, it's going to be way different than anything we've ever seen. Um, But that's the interesting thing about this month and the movies that you see coming out is I think there's going to be a few... Um, not to skip ahead to the awards category that we're going to get to, but um, th- there might be one or two that you look at and say like, yeah, I might kind of be interested in going to see that. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I'm not really expecting any movie to ever come out in September. That's like, oh my gosh, that was life changing. Yeah. I think there's one on this list that we'll get to later that I, I kind of think, well, I think two could end up in some award categories. I think yeah. the none two might wins, like it might get nominated for like sound design or something. Sometimes the, those, sometimes do um but yeah haunting in venice will be an interesting one i'll probably still go watch it um but that's really the only release for september 15th in theaters september 22nd we're moving on to um you've got the first one on our list is expendables 4 which i i I don't know you got jason statham who just got off of his another box office smash hit with uh um the meg 2 which plays really well overseas. Um, and that's where they make most of their money from. Um, Megan Fox is going to be in this movie. 
which is interesting. But I guess uh, what's his name? Um, um, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. And Dolph it? Lundgren. Was yeah. Sylvester? I don't think Sylvester Stallone's going to be in this one. Oh, 50? yeah, he is. Is he? He's. I don't think yeah. he's on the. Oh, interesting. They don't have him on the the call sheet for this. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe they, he's just. Yeah. Too well known. They don't have to list him. Um, Fifty Cent is going to be. <laughs> this just feels like another one. Like, um, oh, there he is. Man, they have him really far down the list. Um, this just feels like oh, the haunting in Venice, but like a like a lower end one where it's just like it's, but it's action, just like guns shooting uh, like a very basic story with some kind of MacGuffin to it. Um, yeah. And uh, you just go to it because you like to see explosions and you like to see um, guns and you like action. And I think that's what you're going to, you're going to see with this, with this one. I don't yeah. honestly like every, isn't any, every Expendables movie kind of like the same thing. Um, I mean, isn't every Expendables, Expendables movie expendable? Pretty much. I remember going to see one of these in college and it's just like, it's just like nonstop guns and stuff. I guess maybe they're trying to make this one a little bit more like, I don't know. Like I, some of these are fun to go see in, in theaters at times because it's just like straight up action. Um, Now I will say I have a problem with how people have been portraying movies for IMAX um, since Oppenheimer's come out. People have, there's been a lot of comments online saying that, oh, I, I don't understand why Oppenheimer was filmed in IMAX cameras. It just didn't deserve it. There was no action. It was just talking. I'm like, that just because it's, that doesn't, action doesn't mean that you, oh my gosh, like you don't just yeah. need action for it to no, be, make sense. No, there's a misunderstanding. Yeah. Yeah. It's about the, the artistry of it. And especially yeah. with Oppenheimer, when you have it in that 70 millimeter format, it's just, it it's doing something artistically. It's not about, you don't, I know, I feel like studios and like even IMAX themselves have just beaten it into audiences heads that you need action sequences as a reason for something to be in a premium, like, like thing. But I think with that one, you go see Christopher Nolan one. he makes it for IMAX. You have the the sound editing, like everything is for that. But I mean, that just goes back to there's certain people who just don't like talking films, which is totally fine. But well, and they're rarely in the IMAX format. You know, typically your IMAX movies are those big action yeah. movies or they're like horror thriller movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not common that you see a movie like Oppenheimer in a format like that. Mm-hmm. But it's because the artist or the director did not choose such a large format to convey the movie. Yep. I'll tell you, I saw Oppenheimer in 70 millimeter and then I saw it in regular and it was completely different, just a yep. completely different film. Um, and so, yeah, like movies like the Expendables four, they're not going to be for us cinephiles or artist snobs. Like they're not going to be that big canvas of just beautiful art um but there'll be a fun loud shoot them out kind of film yeah with sure. this if you want to feel explosions and you want to feel that like this will be a fun imax yeah. imax viewing but i just want to say that hardcore like hardcore stallone fan oh yeah i yeah i mean look it, again this is like i would say how i would say about the meg 2 if you like a good dumb shark movie that doesn't yeah. make sense and doesn't follow the laws of like anything <laughs> this is the good movie for you. Just go in with your brains turned off and watch it and enjoy it, which is totally fine at times. Don't care. You don't always have to go to enjoy cinema. You don't always have to, it doesn't always have to be this like masterpiece of like art. Sometimes like these things are fun to just go see and enjoy the experience. Also coming out September 22nd is dumb money. Oh yeah. Now you mentioned this one. You were actually pretty interested to see this one. Yeah, so I think this is a fascinating uh, concept and story um, because this deals with back in 2020, um, what was it, Doge or whatever? No, the, it was the fake um, stock. Well, it wasn't Doge. Oh, no, this was GameStop. This was GameStop. This was GameStop. Yep. That's right. Basically, um, um, like ultimate quick synopsis of it, like ultimate David and Goliath tale based on the insane true story of everyday people who flipped the script on Wall Street and got rich by turning to GameStop. Yeah, well, so what really excites me about this one is a couple of things. I'm pulling up the the cast list here. Um, but one of those things being that uh, Paul Dano is starring in this film. And I feel mm. like this is such a 
interesting shift in Paul Dano's career from what he's done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he was in some some of these kinds of movies, like those ridiculous comedies. I mean, ridiculous in genre type. I'm not saying they're ridiculous, but um, he was in some of those comedy type stuff early mm-hmm. on. But since he's been doing a lot more serious, uh, dramatic roles like There Will Be Blood, uh, The Batman, um, Prisoners, things like that. Yep. And so to see... It's very interesting to me. He felt very calculated in his career up to this point. So to see him making a choice to be uh, in a movie like this with Seth Rogen that seems kind of crazy, quirky, mm-hmm. um, that fascinates me because I really respect a lot of the the decisions that he's made with his career. Um, and so I'm really intrigued just to see how this film about such a crazy concept um, might have some kind of dramatic overtones. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think you got to even like even beyond that. It's an interesting cast because even beyond that, you got like Shailene Woodley, got America Ferreira, um, you said Seth Clancy Rogen, Brown. Sebastian Stan, Pete yeah. Davidson, um, Nick Offerman. So you got like some, you got a lot of like people kind of put in together with this. So it should be, I mean, it should be a fun movie. Um, and I like the story of it. Um, I'm gonna save my opinion on this one though for uh, when we're talking about when <laughs> how you should view it. Fair enough. <laughs> Um, but yeah, pretty, pretty straightforward movie. Just like kind of recounting the true story to a point um, uh, of that whole whole situation where a bunch of internet content creator type people like decide that they're all going to invest in GameStop and it went through their freaking roof and uh, made all the investors mad and they lost billions of dollars and then tried to ruin them after the fact. So it should be, it'll be interesting to kind of see that one played out in a story because I think we all saw it in the news and it's always interesting to kind of like get a little well, bit more and so soon after too you know i feel like a lot of true story movies it's like at least 10 15 years down the line yeah um and to see one that's three years later uh that's gonna be really interesting yeah this one okay so this one actually like watching the trailers for it reminds me of the guy um that did uh like uh vice Oh yeah, Adam McKay. Yeah, yep. Adam McKay. Adam McKay. Yeah, that kind of it kind of has that like um, style to it with the, mm. the graphics and stuff. At least that's what it's done in the trailer. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see if that continues into this. Don't mind Adam McKay's style. I don't necessarily love it when other uh, directors tend to copy other director styles um, like closely because I don't think it ever works out. It's kind of like yeah. the whole um, for me personally what Zach Zach Snyder tried to do in DC Universe trying to copy what Christopher Nolan did previously with that. I just yeah. look with the tone. I don't think it worked. Um, but this is the same. So this is Craig Gillespie. This is the same director as I, Tanya, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed um, because it did have that good balance. I think um, where something like I, Tanya differs from McKay is just the level of dark I mm-hmm. think that is in there um, within story, within characters. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's some of that in Adam McKay stuff too, but he holds it all. I think it's a lot more satire. Oh, definitely um, a satire. Cause people Craig get Gillespie's so kind of upset at his stuff. They're like he really yeah. did that. Blah, blah. I'm like, no, it's sat- like, he's, he's making it, he's like blowing up what actually happened to really, which I think that his, the, the way Adam McKay does satire is really good yeah. because it does like help you see underneath things that people do yeah. and see it for kind of like what it is at times, whether or not so, that's like true or not, but. Weird flex, but I've met Adam McKay, and so Adam McKay, if you are watching this, uh, thank you, sir, for taking five minutes of your time uh, to speak with me on the set of The Big Short. Much appreciated. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, next up, September 22nd week is Paw Patrol for all Let's of you. Let's go. Yeah, are you a big Paw Patrol Let's fan go. there, Tim? No, but um, my two-year-old has watched the first Paw Patrol movie, mm-hmm. uh, I believe, like 15 times in the past month. Um so this is one. See, here's the thing. As a dad, you got to think about introducing your kids to movies. Mm-hmm. And you can't always like, I can't just go and introduce my two-year-old to Jurassic Park right now. So I kind of got to ease him into movies. I got to ease him into the movie theater experience. And so I personally am excited for the Paw Patrol sequel because I think this is the perfect movie to bring my two-year-old to and to get him excited about movies and about movie theaters. So I will say, from a uh, objective standpoint, mm-hmm. the original Paw Patrol movie was pretty well done. Um, Animation-wise, story-wise, um, it was actually kind of, it's kind of a fun ride. I mean, it, obviously, it's not my cup of tea. I've watched 119 <laughs> movies this year, and it's ranked 115th on my most enjoyed list. Um, <laughs> but I can appreciate, at least for a kid's film, because I'm telling you, especially as a dad, like, 
I watch some terrible kids movies that are made terribly. Like pretty much it's kind of like if it's not Pixar, if it's not Disney, like I just don't really expect it to be very good. Um, and the Paw Patrol movie was kind of the exception to that. It was, it was, uh, it was decently done and my kids love it. So it's probably that perfect movie for, you know, if you're looking to get the kids, uh, out of the house, off to the movie theater for a weekend, Paw Patrol is probably the one. Yeah, well, just to give you a little synopsis for those who care, it's a magical meteor will crash lands in Adventure City and gives Paw Patrol pups superpowers, transforming them into the Mighty Pups. So actually, they're not the Paw Patrol anymore, it's the Mighty Pups. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they got the yeah. new show on. Now, the only the too. only connection I really have to this is there's a dog named Marshall in this, and yeah. I also have a dog named Marshall that that's I did true. not name Marshall, that we wonder maybe if someone watched Paw Patrol and named him Marshall before we got him, so... That's my only connection. I will not be seeing this movie um, unless it is with one of my nie- my either my niece or nephew if they yeah. wanted to watch this at some point. For some See, reason. but this sounds more like a Don't Look Up sequel. <laughs> so speaking of Adam McKay, the meteor hit Earth, killed everybody, but Adventure Bay somehow survived. Yeah, but they like become magical, like and not everyone just dies and then ends up on a planet and then gets eaten after two thousand years yeah. in hypersleep. That's what we need. We need an Adam McKay Paw Patrol movie. Yes, there we go. Yeah, or partner with Peta and like make some satirical thing about <laughs> saving the animals and. Yeah, I don't think. Look, I don't think Peta has a satirical or like like. Sa- <laughs> they yeah. need Adam McKay. They don't have that in their system. I don't think. So that's 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 your week of September 20, 22nd. You got a lot of things. You got a big blow them up, shoot them up, gun, you know, movie with Expendables 4. You got a nice little true story thing with dumb money and you got Paw Patrol. So see, like go to the go to, uh, you know, how they used to do with uh, drive in movie theaters. Go to the drive in movie theaters. So you can watch dumb money or uh, so you can watch Paw Patrol first. Put your kids then to sleep. Kids fall asleep. Exactly. Put them to sleep in the back when they're little things and, go, and then sit around and watch Expendables 4. That's the perfect plan. Yeah, that 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 that's the way to do that one. Um, now, so I, I will. Um, I'm not sure which one I'll see that weekend, but we'll we'll see. So we're moving on to the final week in September, um, September 29th. There's three movies. One of them I'm interested in. The other two, I doubt are gonna be anything. Um, we've got the creator, the kill room, and Saw X. Let's start with uh, the creator. Um, I'm really excited about this one. Um, it's it's basically a movie, uh, a post-apocalypse thriller um, where it seems like afterwards, like they've already fought AI. AI has come to power. So very, re- you know, re- relevant movie, I would say, nowadays. Um, and then it tries to, uh, like they're trying to go kill the rest of the AI so they don't do anything. But they run into this AI who's a child. or So it, there's going to be some interesting ethical questions between can AI attain a sentient form of some kind eventually? And if it did, what would you do? Which isn't, I mean, to be fair, this is a very old um, sci-fi storyline. So it'll be interesting to see what Gareth Edwards, who has, by the way, not directed a movie since um, the Star Wars. Yes, since Rogue One. Yeah. Well, and that's where I'm kind of excited about this film um, is I appreciate that gareth edwards has a good understanding of big screen stuff so like godzilla rogue Mm -hmm. one um just understands scale really well oh you can Um, tell it in the the previews for this too Um, yeah so this this one to me seem i don't know if i'm getting ahead of myself here but like i definitely want to see this one in the theaters just Mm -hmm. for the size and the scale and also had um uh greg frazier working on uh the cinematography for this one mm-hmm. um on the front end had to leave yeah before they actually shot um you had to go work on dune 2 i mean i would too but <laughs> but also Oren soffer um took over for him and actually functioned as a dp on this film i've been following Oren on instagram for gosh i don't know six seven years and it's been really fun following his career as a director of photography and this was his first studio feature um and so i think that's going to be really exciting to see his work on this um and interesting to see how greg's fingerprints kind of play into the Mm -hmm. the cinematography of this one um i will say though the biggest thing that concerns me about this movie is john david washington 
Not a big John David Washington fan, from what you told no. me. No. So I saw him in Amsterdam. What was it last year? Um, and had big hopes for that movie with a cast of him, Christian Bale, Margot Robbie leading it. Um, and I just Amsterdam made me really question how well John David Washington can lead a non Christopher Nolan film. Um, <laughs> because I mean, I think he worked great in Tenet because Nolan's films. Um, say what you want about him. They kind of lean more towards, um, more towards the dry side emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe the creator becomes that kind of a film for him where he doesn't have to do a whole lot emotionally. Yeah. Um, but man, Amsterdam just did not do it for me. So, um, I'm giving him another chance and see how this one turns out. Um, but that is my biggest hesitation with the creator. Interesting. Yeah, I would say my biggest hesitation is the story. Like, I really, to be blown away by this one and for it to really work with me, I really need a compelling story about AI that I have not already gotten from other content before. There's been so much sci-fi done around this concept that is kind of old. There's actually been some articles questioning if this is the end, kind of like the end tales of this kind of, like, like story structure with AI and robots and humans. Um, so I'm really hope moving forward. It's just going to be a documentary. Yeah, pretty much. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, that's what I'm interested to see is how well they kind of do with that. Uh, Cause I'm really, I really love right now the visuals behind it. They have like the guns that they have. They're like yellow lasers, but they're like, they're like really like uh, textured lasers. So it mm-hmm. has like a really nice look to it. Cause everyone just uses, you know, blue or red or whatever, but like that yellow neon look actually looks really nice. Um, I like the sense of scale. It looks beautifully filmed. Um, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to go see this one in IMAX. It's set for yeah. IMAX um, and it was filmed. And th- there was a little bit of controversy on this in the back end Cause it, someone kept flipping back and forth on the IMDB page that it was filmed with the uh, Airy, uh, not 65, no, the, the Airy. Sony, no, the Airy. Sony FX3? Well, it was, but they said they kept flipping back and forth between, oh, they filmed it with the Airy LF, the large format camera. And then they're like, oh, no, they actually filmed it with the FX3. And it kept going back and forth on the IMDb page. And then the creators are basically like, oh, we're not going to tell you what, what it is. Um, we're going to release a video or something about it. So, you, so just wait. And so they did. And uh, it's the FX3, which is a Sony mirrorless camera. And currently I'm filming with like the little brother of it, the FX30 right now for this podcast. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a weird. I mean, that's a good thing. It's it's I would not I could not tell from watching it that 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 was the case. Now, when I did watch it on a big screen um, for the trailers, one thing that stood out to me, though, is it had a little bit of a grain to it. So I wonder if they're either using some film emulation software for that or in how um, others like uh, Greg Frazier have done in the past. um, I'm pretty sure he has. They'll run it through. um, They'll film it digitally and then they'll put it on film and then they'll scan that film. So you kind of get that filmic look. So I kind of wonder if they did that for that. I've not heard anything about that yet, but I did notice the grain. But that also could be because they're using NFX3. So I guess we'll see. (laughs) Well, and that's that's what excites me about a film like that is that if you watch this and you come out of it thinking, oh, my gosh, that looked magnificent. Mm-hmm. Um, just how encouraging, how encouraging that is for indie filmmakers that want to get into movies and are like, man, I, I, I don't have an Ari Alexa, you know, mm-hmm. um, to see what they can do with an FX three, not to say that everybody can do that with an FX three. Um, but if you got the right skills, you got the right tools. And then also I'm sure visual effects helps too, but, um, it could be interesting to see if this makes a dent into filmmaking and uh, sets a precedent moving forward. I sure hope it does. I like seeing some of these like smaller cameras get used and stuff because it does open it up where for film students and stuff like that, where it's like you don't need all this extra equipment anymore. You can make like full on IMAX movies with these like lower end cameras. Um, sure. It's nice to have all the bells and whistles of a, like an IMAX, you know, a, you know, uh, an airy Alexa or whatever, but I, I still don't think it's 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 that bad and it'll be interesting to see how it how it comes out i'm ho- i have big hopes for it because it is a uh, sci-fi movie that's not attached to a franchise there's no other stories around with it and i don't feel like we get a lot of big production uh those kind of movies anymore so i'm really excited really hope it does well because if there's one thing the industry needs to learn is that barbie and oppenheimer did well because they're very well thought out 
very artistic movies that have very like they know what their purpose is and they're not part of any franchise or anything it has to like adhere to yet you know mattel and uh, uh warner brothers are gonna make a, like a whole freaking barbie universe now because of that so yeah that's so why i'm hoping these kinds work because i would love this the like i would love to have more movies like um oppenheimer and barbie and this yeah. rather than just more garbage stuff that studios are pumping out that are attached to series because they know they'll make money on it um and then they don't really care how well it turns out because it's just yeah. a good revenue earner well, this is going to be one of those movies that, like, the casual movie theater goer probably won't go see. Um, it's the kind of movie that you and I will go see. Um, I hope. But it's going to be interesting to see how a movie like this performs in a month with Expendables 4 and things like that coming out, too. Yeah. I, I think it'll, they've been, they've been per, uh, like promoing it for a while, even before some of these others in September. So I'm hoping, I feel like it'll be good. Lastly, yeah. before we, I well, definitely want to mention, too, that this will, should be a draw. Hans Zimmer scored it, so I'm very excited to hear Hans yeah. Zimmer score because I freaking love Hans Zimmer score. I'm trying to go to Europe next year so I can go watch one of his concerts because uh, he's doing a tour in Europe and he because he like never comes to the, the U.S. to do a tour and he's doing one in like uh, the U.K. or in um, um, Ireland next year, uh, like all around. But he's doing right, well, it with the films playing behind him now. Um, don't mind me while I Google uh, his tour <laughs> schedule. <laughs> So that's my big, big thing. And that's actually why um, he didn't score Oppenheimer for Christopher Nolan, because Christopher Nolan wanted him to score Oppenheimer, but he was too busy with his um, his uh, tour schedule to be able to, like, score the Christopher Nolan film this time around. Come on, Hans. I know. But I mean, look, Ludwig's. Yes, that, that was. Yeah, I, I don't th- I don't think you could have asked for a better score for that movie. That was just a beautifully made score. I listen to him editing all the time still. So. Yeah. All right, the last two movies we got the Kill Room. Uh Uma Thurman and Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, which is which is kinda kind of Tarantino favorites. A hitman, his boss, an art dealer in a money laundering scheme that accidentally turns the assassin into an overnight avant something sensation. One that forces her to play the art world against the underworld. Uh yeah, I feel like Samuel L. Jackson always ends up in these like random movies. Like he mm-hmm. he's in all your big time ones, but then sometimes you'll just be watching a movie on TV or something and it just kind of pops up and you're watching it and then he peers out of nowhere and you're like, oh, okay. I just feel like he's one of those actors that just, he's in all those big movies and then some movies he's in, it's just, oh, Samuel Jackson's in this yeah, movie. Yeah, especially those action movies too. Yeah. Um, like I, Yeah, I just think he's going to be classic Sam in this one. Um, and this, like... It, it's funny. I don't know if it makes me weird, but I'm actually more intrigued by this one than The Expendables 4. Um, oh, I don't think maybe that. maybe because this seems like more original thought in a way, maybe. I don't yeah, know. maybe. Well, I think the thing with it is it's not attached to something. You already know what The Expendables 4 is going to be. I don't really know what this is. It's a thriller. I, I could be good. It could not be good. Uh, my, my instinct is that this movie is probably not going to be good. I'm going to probably say it's probably going to get like, mm, I don't know, like a 40% yeah. to 60% rating. Um, but yeah, it's probably not going to be nominated for any awards or anything, but um, I mean, I think that's partially why movies like this get released in September. Yep. And lastly, we have saw 10. Is that the yeah. Saw X or are they just moving yeah. to 10? I don't, I, I Saw feels like, I don't really understand the Saw franchise, to be honest. I f- it feel like this is to me is where um, the Conjuring has a leg up on stuff. And even like the Evil Dead, like Evil Dead franchise that just did Evil Dead Rise earlier this year has a thing up if you want to go for the gore. It's just a better concept, I would say. Like Saw's fine, but the original concept it's just been stretched so far now that it's like, I don't even, I mean, okay, the synopsis is chasing a promising procedure that would allegedly cure cancer. John Kramer heads down towards Mexico to go through an experimental treatment only to find out he was prey for a scam. Now the scammers become the prey on Jigsaw's new game. How many new games can Jigsaw have? That's just... Endless. Yeah, see, this is what gives... butts in the seats. This is what gives horror and gore and like all that a bad bad name to me like yeah. i just it's it, it's fine but i yeah well i think i've already made my 
opinions. I don't know. I know, Tim, and you'd already like horror, so. No, and I think just you look at how many sequels are coming out, and I know I I was saying I was a fan of my Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 coming out. I get it. But a lot of this stuff is just about studios trying to get butts in the seats. Yep. That's all it is. They just um, are trying to eat up money however they can, and if they can make another Saw sequel and get the horror fans in the seats, doesn't matter if it's good, doesn't matter if it's original, doesn't matter if it's creative, doesn't matter mm-hmm. if it's good art. Um, if it's connected to Saw, the Saw fans will go see it. Nice. So there have been 10 Saw movies released now. Um, well, even before this one, they released a Saw anniversary. Can you guess how much money that this franchise has made? Total? Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. A billion? Yeah, actually. Yeah, it grossed more yeah. than a billion dollars. The film series has been a box office success while receiving mostly mixed to negative reviews from critics. Yeah. It remains one like, of the highest grossing horror fran- like uh, it is one of, it's in the list of highest franchise, you know, grossing horror fr- film franchises of all the time, but it definitely the score the scores there for like it's probably I would assume this is probably closer to like how you would go see Meg 2. It's just yeah. a terribly bad um, B movie like horror movie that's just fun to go watch because it's not really that scary but they do like ridiculous things and the plot's not that like whatever um, where yeah. the conjuring's like the high art end of horror franchise I would say like they're doing innovative things I mean but, that's the state of movies that we're in you know and yeah. people here if you get one thing from this podcast just know this vote with your ticket <laughs> let the studios know the kind of movie that you want to see and if for me, I will not go to see The Conjuring or, uh, I mean, the, the Saw 10. I will not go see that because I don't want to vote for that. Um, but they just know that people don't care if it's a good movie or not. Like, no. it's just people want to go be scared. People want to go see action films. They want to, I, I respect it. You can, everybody can have their own opinion on movies, but I think we need better art. And uh, Saw 10, I don't think is going to be that. <laughs> All right. Okay, so we're now we're moving down to our review section. Which movies should you go see in theaters? Which movies should you stay at home for? Uh, which movie could you take your significant other to? Um, and which movies could you die happy never seeing it and will probably never think about it ever again in your life? So, um, uh, yeah, let's start with let's start with the uh, I could die happy and never seeing it. What are what's the first one that comes to mind for you? Uh, I'm gonna go with Saw Ten. Yeah, I'd be Saw Ten, Kill Room. Yeah, and well, I, I disagree with you on Kill Room. Expendables Four is on that okay, list. Okay, okay, I'll 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 give that. I think Kill Room's kind of just in a non non category space for me. So it'd be yeah. like Saw X, Paw Patrol, and I think that's probably I would say Equalizer Three, but I wouldn't say that for people listening. Like if you like the Equalizer, yeah. um. I could die happy never having seen it because I don't really love that that franchise <laughs> that much. Uh, so yeah, those are those are my three um, on this. Yeah. Same for you, or? Yeah, no, I would go Saw Ten, and then I would go Expendables Four, uh, and then Nun Two, because I mean, obviously, I'm not into horror, but Expendables Four, I just, I mean, if I if it is on TV one day, like I may end up watching that, but that's not really a movie that I'll ever go or any of them in the franchise that I'll mm-hmm. go out of my way to go see. So, which which would you go see with your significant other, Tim? Uh, I'm planning to go see my big fat Greek wedding three uh, with my wife. I think that's the one on the list that makes the most sense to go see. I think maybe you could see, um, I think the, a couple that would make sense, dumb money. Um, I wouldn't say that one. Well, actually no, because I don't, I think maybe some wouldn't necessarily care too much about stock market stuff. My, I, my big fat Greek wedding three and a haunting, and a haunting in, Venice. in Venice. Yes. Yep. That was my yep. other one. Yeah, those are like those are the kind of movies that I think if it's even if it's just streaming, those are the kind of movies that we'll watch at home and just throw on together. Um, so those would be the two that I feel like are are more universally appealing in a way. Yeah, it's a good um, date night. Like I think a haunting yeah. in Venice is like a good date night one because you're kind of right. Like what you were saying, it's kind of like that the easy horror where it's like not too scary, but it's like yeah. fun enough and it has some other stuff where you could go see it. Um, my big fat Greek wedding, yeah. I could see that. I think honestly, a haunting in Venice makes more sense to go see on a date night than my big fat Greek wedding. I think yeah. there's, because I think with the other one, you need to know a little bit of the backstory, but I feel like haunting in Venice, you could probably go see that. And it's a little bit standalone, even though it has the two previous, 
I think it's, it's true. It's kind you of probably its own. Could. Yeah. yeah. So that one, go see Haunting in Venice with your with your your girlfriend, your wife, whatever. Uh, see it at home. See it at home. My immediately, I have said this from the beginning since I first saw the preview. Looks like a movie I'll probably watch, but I will probably not ever go to theaters to see it. Dumb money. It's just those kind of stories to me don't have any. There's not really a reason for me to go to theaters. If I'm going to theaters, I kind of want the an experience. Like I want whoever made this to have made it with the intention for it to go to theaters. This yeah. movie feels like one you'll kind of like throw on during Christmas time and it just happens to be on some channel or whatever. And you're like, oh, I'll watch it. And you just kind of like doing other stuff, but you end up like instead of doing the other stuff, procrastinating and sitting on a couch and watching yep. it kind of movie. I'll- I'll agree with you on the sentiment of the question. Yeah. That universally, like, yeah, Dumb Money's probably a, a better streaming movie than theater movie. However, I'm kind of a movie theater nerd. Mm-hmm. And so I probably will go see Dumb Money in theaters because I, again, speak with your ticket people. Mm-hmm. I want to speak with my box office money and say that this is the kind of movie that I, I want more of these kinds of movies made. Um, and so whether or not it necessarily is better on the big screen or at home, mm-hmm. Um, but I also like, I've seen a lot of indie dramas at AMC this year and, uh, just, it's a fun time to get out of the house, go watch a movie, uh, on a big screen, loud sound, get some popcorn. Oh yeah. Um, yeah and so yeah. yeah, for the sentiment of the question, I'll agree with you. Dumb money okay. for most people, probably a better streaming movie. Uh, but for me personally, I don't really know. I mean, maybe equalizer three. Well, it's probably a better theater movie, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I'd agree. Um, well, okay. So lastly, see it in theaters. These are the ones that Tim and I would recommend if you're listening to this podcast that if you're going to pick movies to go see and you don't have any other things, you're not going with a spouse, like you could take a spouse to go see these, but you, the, for real, like these would be movies that are best experienced in theaters this month. So if you're a fan of action films, if you're mm-hmm. a fan of the Equalizer films or the Expendables films, they're going to be much better in theaters Agreed. than they are going to be at home. So I may or may not go see those in theaters. But if you're a fan of just shoot them up action films, um, then these are the kind of movies that you should be seeing in theaters because they're just going to be so big and so loud. Now, the one that I'm personally excited for, and John, I'm sure you're going to say this one too, uh, is The Creator. Yep. I think with a film like that, just how much intention there is in the art to see that on such a big scale, um, that's going to be a movie that if I don't see it in theaters, I'm going to regret that I didn't see yeah. it on the big screen. And I would, I would suggest if you're near an IMAX theater, it is a, it, to me, it's an IMAX theater pick uh, yeah. to go see in IMAX. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, like it, it looks like it's going to be beautiful, beautifully filmed, um, action packed. You're going to want that sound. You're going to want that big screen to see it. Yeah. Um, whether or not the story's good or not, I don't know. That's going to be the, to me, that's the biggest question around it. If it's going to pull enough of a story, they're talking about trying to make it a very human story. So I'm hoping you get that classic sci fi kind of, um, um, thought or fil- philosophy to it. And that would, to me, would make it a good movie. The well, other I, movie. Yeah. You and I have talked about world building before mm-hmm. in films and films that do it well and films that don't. And I feel like the creator is one of those films. And that's something you kind of want to think about whether you're not want to, see, whether or not you want to see it on the big screen is mm-hmm. how good was the filmmaker at crafting this world? Did they actually about care about the world? Yeah. yeah. And this just feels like a film that there's a lot of intention in just the world building. So to yep. submerse yourself into a world on such a big screen. I mean, it's going to feel like you're a yeah. part of it in a way. Uh, and I like the art. Uh, the art design too is what has me really interested in it when I first yeah. saw it. Because generally I probably wouldn't be like super like excited about this kind of um, story because it feels like something that could be a little bit more like um, generic sci-fi or mainstream sci-fi that's been kind of a problem lately. Yeah. Um, where it's just like, it's, it's like where sci-fi gets mixed in with all the other action, like superhero kind of feeling things. And it's just to me, that's not, I don't really love that. Um, I would say my other pick, and it might even be more than, well, I think they're kind of equal. I would say none to, if you're, if you like that kind of movie, if you like the conjuring franchise, these movies are best watched in theaters. Yes. Yeah. And if you have an IMAX, go to it. I don't know if you necessarily need to go to an IMAX for it, other than really the loud sounds. Horror movies are specifically mixed um, for theaters. They're best experienced, like, audio part uh, in theaters for how they do it. You can watch it at home, but they're never anywhere close to as being as scary and 
just as um, you just get captured in it, I think. Yeah. So none two, go see that one theaters. Um, and that'll be, that'll be my two picks for September. None two and, and the creator. Def- definitely go see them in theaters. Yeah. Cool. Well, that about wraps it up for this one. Um, we will be back talking about some of these movies on the list, the productions behind them. We've got content on the Frame Voyager YouTube channel going into the uh, Conjuring Universes franchise and uh, looking at all the practical effects and going through all their movies. So uh, check that out here soon. And uh, we also have, uh, we'll be doing some content on the creator and how they filmed it with the FX3 and some of the, the interesting ways that they uh, produce that movie because it's actually a fairly low budget movie. So stay tuned for that. We'll also be bringing some podcasts to fill in more information for that. Thanks for coming on, Tim. Happy to be here. Yeah, awesome. So we'll be back soon. Uh, Make sure to leave us a nice little rating on the podcast thing and uh, follow us. Talk to you guys later.